I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love Tim Sweeney so much. He's amazing. I think that... What's going on, guys? guys? And welcome welcome back to Watch Time. Time. Man, okay, we actually synced that pretty well. That was not planned, by the way, so I'm a little bit taken aback. Guys, we are back for another week of Watch Time. I'm excited to get into it this week. We're going to be talking about Ludwig and the new Twitch sub world record. We're going to be talking about Epic's billion dollar funding round, along with a few other topics. But first of all, I am very excited to tell you guys that I have the answer to the question of last week which was the Lil Nas shoes that sold for over $1,000 a shoe that were infused with a drop of real human blood. Where was the blood coming from? Guys, not only have I tracked down where the blood has come from, I know the person whose blood it is. I cannot believe I'm even saying this out loud. Elliot is reacting to this for the very first time because he doesn't know. But I literally know the person that spent days of their life pricking their arm to get drops of blood that were infused into Lil Nas's shoes. Okay, wait, I'm sorry, because like, what do you mean days? Because I don't even know who the person is yet. I've also seen how blood donations work. and I'm pretty damn sure you can take out like three liters in a go. Surely that's enough for a thousand drops of blood. So I have to say... Last week, I casually mentioned that we'd done a little bit of work with Mischief before. And actually, one of the guys at Mischief was one of the people that helped launch our NFT with the boys, our foot picks NFT. You can clearly see this guy is very creative him. and has a lot of different ideas. The man is Daniel Greenberg. He works at Mischief. I was literally texting him yesterday about something totally different. And then today, Jack, our production manager, links me an article about where the blood has come from. He doesn't know Daniel. And then I I see Daniel's name in the article. And so I just texted Daniel and I said to him, I was like, Daniel, tell me it's true. Were you the person putting drops of blood in the little Nas shoes? And he comes back and he says, yes, it was my blood. Oh my God. <laughs> I said, this is incredible. He said, it's Daniel Greenberg's blood. What can I say? I'm devoted to the craft. You've got the, fir- you've got the person. I feel, the, I, I feel like I would want like a 10% cut of any, I don't know if it's a shoe or a shirt, I don't care what product you're selling, if it contains my literal human blood, I want 10% on every If sale. your blood is on the line, like if a part of my human body is in a product that's being sold for $1,000. Yeah, I want 10%. Absolutely. Literally a new like definition for, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this product. Like <laughs> the sweat from when you're getting all your blood taken, the tears from all the injections, and literally your blood into literally the product. Literally the blood is in the product. All right. Well, that's um that, that was a good way to start the podcast. Isn't that funny? I'm glad we got that answered. That we were like debating for five minutes over who the person possibly was that was putting the blood in that's what you were laughing about right before the podcast right okay that's very funny that is very funny it is i of all things did not expect us after last week to be able to text the person whose blood was in the shoes neither did i you know what is weird i was gonna say grace i think you know anyone could have done that because i feel like the line of people wanting to you know like just give away their blood into a product isn't probably that long but then i was like no 
I actually reckon millions of people would probably want to put their blood into Lil Nas shoes. So, you know what, actually? That is an exclusive thing. And now he can put that in his obituary in six yeah, years. Yeah, oh, LinkedIn profile for sure. LinkedIn profile. Update. I am I am the blood of Lil Nas shoes. Too funny. Love it. All right, let's jump in to our first topic of the day, Ludwig. Today, literally, breaking news, guys. You you come to watch time and you hear it here first. It's hitting hot and fast. And you watch it here first. If you're watching on YouTube, you can subscribe, by the way. Ludwig beat Ninja's long-standing all-time mm. subscriber record on Twitch, Is- which uh, was 269,155. I think he's and only he- the second person to hit over 200,000 subs. Yeah, yeah, no, legitimately, it's it's a crazy, crazy sub record. I'm I'm about to find out what his current number is standing at as we record. But I think the craziest thing when you remember is that's 269,000 subs at a minimum, and a lot of them would be more than this, of five dollars USD to do that, which means 1.25 million. And I think creator revenue splits are about 70-30 now, 80-20 for that kind of stuff on Twitch, which means that Ludwig has made a million dollars off subscribers alone. It's absolutely insane. And Elliot, do you want to just do the quick backtrack of how he's been doing that? Like what's led to this moment over the last month? Because he's on the 31st day of a subathon, right? Yeah. Now. So, subathons have always been this thing that people on Twitch would do effectively as a money so explain grab. Explain what that is. So, a subathon is basically where you. I mean, it really isn't anything most of the time. Most of the time, people, a streamer will just declare, this is, this is a subathon stream. And then, basically, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, now, like, the whole goal of the stream is you're expected to subscribe and the goal is to just get a bunch of subscribers aka it's like me starting up a stream and being like guys guys very exciting good awesome news today today is a give me money stream it's very exciting (laughs) what we're all gonna do is you're all gonna paypal me two hundred dollars each and i'm gonna do what i normally do and that's it that's it that's that's the whole stream that is basically what subathons normally are not what he did no so he basically was doing uh i believe it started already as a longer than normal subathon but then added in a rule that was like for every new subscriber so there was like a clock like a 24-hour clock on the stream but it was like for every new subscriber the length of the stream gets extended by i think it was seven seconds or 15 seconds Mm -hmm. so basically in theory, people could keep subscribing and it would continue to add time to the stream. The ticker was always running down. Which I didn't realise, but today is day 31, which is the maximum length he said that it could go for of the subathon. And he beat Ninja's record today, which means, and I don't know if he announced this before, if this is obvious to everyone, but obviously he literally calculated the additional time that a new subscriber would add so that if it did make it 31 days, that would be the new sub record. Oh, that's amazing. That Do is you think he thought that through? 100%. Well, it's not a coincidence that he hit the exact number of subs needed to beat Ninja on literally the final couple of hours of the stream. Yeah. Like, that's not a coincidence. Oh, um, I didn't... See, I didn't think about that. Yeah, so that's so so. You I don't know if he, he now, you think he did the math. Absolutely, did the math. He ran the numbers. He was like, he was like, okay, so yeah, one plus the one equals crazy subs ever. But the fact that he made that is insane. the The more insane part is the amount of money he made, which is minimum a million dollars from subs alone this month. 
then you think about donations on top of that, probably another several hundred thousand. You think about ad revenue because he's pulling literally between 50 and 70,000 viewers permanently during this stream. Guy probably pulled home easy $2 million in a 31 day stream. So you know what? Respect the hustle, it's pretty good. The only thing to remember, unlike for example, YouTube where you become a member and that's like a monthly subscription. And a lot of people who do become uh, subscribers on Twitch are people who are paying like the monthly subscription, mm -hmm. especially with subathon streams, a large way that a lot of the subs actually get accumulated is like gifted subs or, or definitely people who are like, they just want to be there for like the moment, but not necessarily every month. They're there for the night, but not to commit long-term, you yeah. know? Exactly. It's a one night sub stand. stand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so that number, which is currently at 277,000, I'm expecting will drop very, very hard over the next 30 days as all the ones that got gifted start to deplete. You know what? For the moment, he's well, living life. He's killing it. You even think about it though. Even if he loses two thirds of the number of people and he drops down to 100,000 subs. He's still got 100,000 subs paying f minimum $5 a month, which for him is $4 a month, which is 400 grand a month USD. And then you add that on top of his other revenue and sponsored and the fact that he's probably built his brand so much through this stream mm. that now his concurrence, his sponsors, everything's going to go up. Crazy. Yeah. I'm expecting to see a lot more 30 day subathon streams see i was thinking i was like damn 30 days is a long time like what were you doing 30 days ago i don't remember i don't know what i was doing two weeks ago but it feels like a long time ago i'm like 30 days day in day out streaming you know i'm like 30 days is a long time, but you know what else is a long, long thing? The number of zeros in your bank account when you make $2 million in a month. I wouldn't know. I've never had that in my bank account. But like, you, true. but like I was, because I was thinking about it, right? If it's, if it, if every, if seven seconds is a $5 sub, mm. that means every minute he's making roughly like, I mean, you cut, throw in a couple of donos, a hundred bucks. So yeah. he's making a hundred dollars a minute. I personally would live stream a hundred dollars a minute like for a very long time like yeah. imagine it's like one of those mr beast challenges where he just keeps saying like you know for every every time you throw this ball i'm gonna give you a dollar it's like every minute you're live i'm gonna give you a hundred dollars i would literally yeah be like bring me all the caffeine in the country so i'm true. going live it's a very mr beast approach to streaming yeah i wonder if he was inspired by that anyway he has ended it today or he will be ending it today he will 31 be ending days, it today. which i think honestly for health and safety purposes is probably the right call <laughs> definitely the right call how do you think this will change do you think beyond seeing a lot more 30-day sub streams how do you think this will change the way that people stream for the going forward i mean like i think other people will do this but I, I don't think it will necessarily hit the same like maybe some big streamers might be able to pull it off to the same degree but I, I feel like a lot of the reason this was so successful was it was like a first. Yeah. It's it's not so much, and don't get me wrong, a lot of people love Ludwig, but there's a large number that are part of this 277,000 that are just like, oh, I want to be part of Twitch history. Yeah. They're like, oh, this is like, this is a moment in I think it was incredibly time. creative. And I think like when you saw Mr. Beast and his style of content start to come up, you saw a lot of copycat or inspired accounts that like followed on from that. So I think it'll be interesting to see if that happens to some extent and people try to gamify subs more. And now this is my final pitch to close out the topic. Okay. Ludwig, you've already made an absolute ton of money, but you want to make a bit more? I got an idea for you and I will only take 30% of the overall <laughs> if you decide to use this. 
We now mint the moment where you overtook Ninja and set the all-time Twitch sub record and we sell it as an NFT. <laughs> you, me, millions. Let's do it. Bam. Literally, that would be the ultimate like cap to the whole thing. Is like you round out the stream by NFT selling the moment where you beat the Twitch sub record after this month of hype leading up to it. That is like the biggest marketing campaign of all time. You're making money from something that made you money. Like you're charging money for people to buy the moment and that moment symbolizes a moment where you made a bunch of money. So you're making money from when you made money. Like, I love it. Bro, it's everything I can't about it. Handle any Capitalism! More, I can't handle any more conversations about NFT. I swear, I open my inbox every I'm off it. No, 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 no. Even you talking right now about NFTs is more than I want to hear about NFTs right now. All There's got to be another topic. Is I open my inbox every day. I reckon I get at least five emails from different people that are just like, hey, I run this NFT company, like would love to chat about like doing some stuff with your creators. And I'm like, I swear to God, three months ago, no one was even talking about the word NFT. No. Now everyone and their mother owns an NFT company. I'm like, what are you guys, where have you come? Like, what was your day I'm, job last I year? I am now certain the crypto bubble is huge and it will burst. Yeah. I, but but it's literally like when you've got all these people coming out of the woodwork, like, yeah, run an NFT company, bro. Like I do NFT startups. Like what about it? So like when you go to New York and you're talking about like the guy making your coffee at Starbucks and you're like, oh, like, dude, what's up? He's like, oh yeah, like this is my part-time gig. But like I'm also like I manage musicians. Like, you know, I'm a music manager. Like it's literally becoming like the new mm. side hustle that everyone is doing. It's too much. And at a certain point, it is too much. Love crypto, love the foundations of the technology. I think it's really cool. I think it's only going to get bigger, but I do think right now it's just gone a little bit too far. All right, next topic. Because next I, otherwise we're going to get sidetracked topic. on crypto for the next four hours we like we always foot, do. We had foot picks moment while we had it. We had and our foot picks moment. We came in, we cashed in on the NFTs and we got the... So out. Epic has announced today that they have completed a $1 billion funding round. That's a billion with a big B which currently values Epic Games, which is obviously the producers of Fortnite, at about $28 billion. Now, I think $28 billion is probably- Which is still less than Roblox, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. insane to me. <laughs> like, Roblox is one game. Epic Games has, like, the Epic game, the, the Unreal Engine, Fortnite, the millions, yeah. billions can, of IP. You can listen to our episode from a couple of weeks ago where we I'm broke down again. Roblox's- yeah listing yep. um Quick, don't mention were... roblox again or i'm gonna start ranting okay okay elliot thinks they're overvalued obviously anyway with my keen understanding of financial economics and stock market trading yes epic has announced they've raised a million dollars it values the company at about 28 billion dollars which is just a number that is honestly kind of difficult to conceive how big that actually is. I think it was really really interesting the way that they phrased this announcement. Tim Sweeney, who is the CEO and founder of Epic Games and still the controlling shareholder, so he's got to be happy about this. He announced when he made the announcement this morning, he said Thank you so much for supporting Epic and the Metaverse. And I thought that, I read it and I was like, that choice of words is really interesting. It wasn't supporting Epic and Fortnite or supporting Epic and Fortnite and the Epic Game Store or supporting Epic and our game portfolio, which are all words that he could have used. Epic is a company. They obviously, Fortnite is their major project. They also have Unreal Engine. They have the Epic Game Store and they have a whole host of other games. He chose not to use any of those. He chose to say Epic and the Metaverse. 
And I think that's really interesting. It stems from a conversation that we've had on and off, honestly, like since we started Watch Time, about what Epic's long-term plans are, what their strategy is. And even last week where we were talking about the scene of AAA games at the moment and the fact that it's a little bit dry and are we going to see more new AAA games or are we going to see games like Fortnite continue to develop into more complex, you know, complex games where you're able to do a lot more than what the current functionality is. It's interesting and I'm really keen to get Elliot's thoughts on this, but it sort of stems on from a thought that we've discussed for a while where it's like non-casual games can be quite risky. And I think in the past there's been a sort of theme where it's like the game launches, the game becomes popular, hopefully the popularity fades and then you have to follow up with a new IP or a sequel or you need to refresh it in some way. And I think the only exceptions there are games that have created some sort of metaverse like Minecraft, like Roblox, like GTA V, I guess. Yeah, and even they're not really doing a metaverse, I think, in the way that Epic and Fortnite want to do. So I think, what do you think? Why Do you well, think it's interesting that he chose to say the metaverse? I would like to start off by saying I love Tim Sweeney so much. <laughs> I think he's amazing. I think that two things. It's very refreshing to see a billionaire that I get the sense does not give a crap about money. Like this guy literally wears like $10 Target t-shirts and orders uber eats instead of having like a 50 man custom home chef team like prepare him whatever he wants every night um Mm -hmm. which i think is just so so good but then and and, you know in that sense he gives me elon musk vibes where i think they both don't really care so much about the like lifestyle that the money they've made can give them but i think the the best part overall is that unlike elon musk i don't think there's any ego for Mm. him i think elon don't get me wrong i think he's done some really really cool stuff and overall great visionary person but like i think for elon there is a lot of like elon musk brand in there for him where he's Mm -hmm. like he likes being seen as the person at the forefront tim sweeney i just don't think he cares he doesn't care if his name's on it or not on it he's just like i just want to i want to make cool things i want to make cool things and then i want to go home my ten dollar target shirt and cargo shorts and eat fried chicken like that's literally does he eat fried chicken he eats apparently it's fried chicken apparently like he'll literally be just driving home and just like get kfc like every second night Nice. Like the dude, I, I don't, yeah. Anyway, I respect oh, it. and when, and when he makes a bunch of money, what does he normally do? He goes and he just buys a large area of forest and wildlife and says, yep, this is all, this is all um, protected now. Like you can't touch it. That's he so just, sick. all he does with his money is buy large areas of natural land and say, you can't touch them. Or KFC. Or KFC. <laughs> or $10 cargo shorts. Okay, um, but tell me about the metaverse. Do you think, how I do mean, you think they're thinking about that? I think it's super interesting. And I'm probably going a little bit too deep here and I hope I don't lose anyone on the way. But Epic, obviously, kind of their biggest thing up until Fortnite was the Unreal Engine. Unreal Engine is basically games are kind of made with game engines. They're kind of like the building blocks of what the different developers create. It doesn't matter if you're making Mario or you're making a racing game or you're making Call of Duty. All those games are built on engines. Those engines define the physics rules. A lot of the time they define assets. They define how like light reflects off surfaces. It's basically the building blocks for whatever universe you're building. Mm-hmm. I think it's super interesting because in many ways, like Epic's product was... And this is where I think I might lose some people and maybe I'm going a little bit crazy myself. Epic, Epic's product and the core of their business, the Unreal Engine, was in itself 
in a way a metaverse. It was a product that allowed people to come in and create whatever different brands, whatever different games, whatever different things they wanted, all built off this one core product. Yeah. Obviously, with Fortnite, they've created a much more consumer-friendly version where it's, you know, kind of like playground mode and you can create custom games and all that kind of stuff. And then obviously they brought in a lot of brands with yeah. skins and, and those kind of things. Tim Sweeney seems to have like an obsession with this metaverse thing, which obviously just seems to be the way that things are going. You look at Roblox, you look at everything, all the most successful games, Roblox, Minecraft and Fortnite. It's about creating like a sandbox that you then let people get creative. And I think that it seems like Epic is moving into that space more and more quickly. And I think they're also moving into it in a more and more um, kind of structured. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And logical way than almost mm. any other company. You know, GTA is kind of like, oh, we kind of gave you the tools and people create racing games and custom modes and RPs. But... It's not really done that cleanly. Same with Minecraft. A lot of it is community supported servers and the, and Minecraft's just like, yeah, we gave, like we just created the world. You guys can kind of mess with it and we probably won't sue you. Yeah. Whereas Epic, I feel like is very much going in with, we are deliberately creating these brand partnerships with DC, Marvel, um, all these different other game publishing things. Like they're working so hard to get as much IP like authorized into their game universe as they mm. possibly can. Now, I actually, I think what's interesting to me though is I still don't know what they're going to do with that or where they're going to go with it or what the ultimate goal is because mm. I think that they almost got a little bit too carried away where oh. there were a few seasons of Fortnite where they were just like throwing stuff in. They're like, oh, look, Star Wars in Fortnite. And everyone's like, okay, yep, cool. But like, what does this add to the experience? You know, yeah. like why, like we get it. You managed to get authorization to use this IP in this game, but that doesn't necessarily make the game better. Yeah. So I think now Epic's like, okay, like mixing and matching IP is cool, but they, I think they now need to try and refine that and figure out ways where, okay, adding this in, like how, how's that actually going to make the game better? You know, mm. it's not just like, oh, we put a Master Chief skin in. It's like, no, what does this add for the player? Mm. And I think that's what they're still figuring out. But mm. I do think that ultimately their goal of that metaverse is so clearly where the games industry is going. Why do you think that's why the, that's the goal? Why do you think a metaverse is the goal? Like Epic obviously has the potential to make great games. Why do you think Tim Sweeney is obsessed with the idea of a metaverse rather than thinking like, how can we make a Fortnite 2.0? Because I mean, like, I just think if you look at everything these days, like it's not release culture. I think we talked about this in the last episode, yeah. like which is almost for certain developers has made them lazy. For example, uh, well, not 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 fully. Like Rockstar's done some good stuff recently, but the reason, like we were talking about last week, you don't have a GTA Six, is why make GTA Six when GTA Five is literally printing nonstop money? All you're going to do is mm. fragment your player base and risk that core thing that you've built. 
Um, and but if Tim Sweeney doesn't care about money, no, he doesn't care about money. But I think, but I think there's also just the question of like, yeah, make a sequel if you feel like you can fundamentally add something. Whereas yeah. I feel like what they've already got with you know, so so Fortnite isn't a campaign game, right? It's not like GTA Five where everyone's like, we want yeah. GTA Six because we want this whole new campaign to play through and a whole new like map and a whole new. Da, 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 da. But what Fortnite is and what it's always been is this ever-evolving game. And while it might not go from Fortnite 1 to Fortnite 2, that is sort of what they did with Fortnite Chapter 1 and Fortnite Chapter 2. Yeah. They're trying to be like, this is the same game, but it's not the same. They're right. constantly, they're changing the map, they're changing the weapons, they're changing how like the game rules work and how they function. They're changing like all the way down to the engine and how the physics work. Mm -hmm. Like they're just constantly iterating on the game. It's almost like they are building Fortnite 2 and they have built Fortnite 2, but instead of just being like, okay, you have Fortnite 1 and in two years you'll have Fortnite 2. Yeah. Over the course of that two years, they're just like, as they get things done, they put them in the game. They're kind of like, okay, now we've got this thing, which you think will make the game better. Bang, they put that in the game two months in. Then two months later, like, and now this is improved and they put that in. And after two years, you end up with a product that kind of is Fortnite too, but it's just kind of been a seamless transition all the way yeah, through. I like which that. base in an ecosystem where it's all about retaining players so that they keep just pumping their credit card into the microtransaction Micro model. Microtransactions, I think, yeah, so key. So it's now, it's no longer about hitting people with a bam, like once off, get everyone in to play the game. Yes. And if they play the game for one minute or one year, you don't care because they bought the game and you've made your money. Now it's all about, you no, know, it is about keeping them in the ecosystem. That's yeah. where all the revenue is. It's about, it's about let them in the door as easy as you can and then retain, retain, retain. And yeah. while you're retaining them, get that credit card info. Yeah, super interesting. Well, I'm very, very keen to see what happens with Epic. As always, I love following their journey as a company. And I think yeah. Tim Sweeney is one of the most interesting people to follow. Very, very interesting. We love you, Tim. Now, in other quick news, uh, I think a week or two ago, we talked about the All Gas, No Breaks channel, which uh, kind of came to an end. Well, maybe not came to an end, but basically there was a disagreement between the person who hosted it, who was fundamentally seen as he is the channel and whoever was producing it to the point where he parted ways and it looked like the channel was no longer going to be a thing. Well, three days ago, he posted a new video video on a new channel which was all about spring spring break and uh kind of how people there can behave a little bit interestingly and how they're flaunting coronavirus restrictions and it was on a and, new channel called channel on 5 a, yeah on a new channel called channel 5 and as of 24 hours ago that video has been taken down i know for I, for quote violating youtube community guidelines and you saw the video right before it went down yeah i did it was i mean it was it, I, you know what actually i thought was interesting it was a mixture of the classic all gas no breaks just taking the crap out of stuff but then yeah. also i don't know if you remember when we were talking about him in his in interview he did he talked about how one of the reasons they separated is he wanted to do more like serious reporting and actually like speak to topics that mattered right. to him and even and i i noticed even though they still very much did it in like the all gas no break style there was a much larger element where it was cutting between like the crazy humor of these guys just being absolute lunatics and you know spring break like he would actually kind of he wouldn't say it but he would cut to like newscasts about people talking very seriously about like, okay, but like the coronavirus stuff, this is causing lots of problems. Oh, interesting. Or like having an interview with someone in the community who was being like, yeah, you know, like great to see everyone here having fun, but like also da 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 da, da. So yeah. it was like, and then it would cut back to the humor, but it would yeah. be like, but you could tell he was trying to slide those elements in. But yeah, okay. interestingly, as of 24 hours ago, the video is taken down for violating YouTube community guidelines. Now- Damn, I'm sad for this guy. I, Andrew, I feel like, you know, you got to, 
Yeah, cut a break. I'm very sad too. And I'm really interested to say to see what the reason for that was. Because obviously it could have literally just been that there was something depicted in the video that YouTube was like, no, okay, this isn't okay. Like, for example, I could imagine him interviewing someone and them like drinking from a bottle and being like, I'm only 20, man. And then YouTube's like, oh, underage drinking, take it down. Yeah. Like that could have definitely happened. Yeah. But then there's also part of me that's like, did that old production company get a little Ooh. bit uh, nervous about oh. uh, what they were up to? See, and you think about file things, a copyright strike you think about things i just don't think about i would never have thought i'm like i just like don't think that insidiously about situations i'm like no i'm sure he just like genuinely broke the guidelines whereas yeah. you're like no this was there's revenge. a corporate agenda <laughs> but anyway we'll uh we'll keep you tuned so make sure you come back next week when i'm sure we'll be able to figure out some answers on that one and uh and see what happened and i guess speaking of YouTube, YouTube community guidelines. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a topic that um I don't know if you guys watch a channel called Philip DeFranco, but he basically does YouTube news. And he brought this up at the start of a video today. And I was actually like, you know what? That actually is an interesting take on the topic that I've never heard before. And now you're probably going to see us uh, use some uh, abbreviations in this next section and uh, weird wordings uh, to avoid the very issue that we are going to be discussing, which is YouTube has a real habit and a history, and it's generally an accepted thing, that if you cover certain topics on the platform and you talk about certain more aggressive things mm -hmm. uh, that may be crimes or, or whatever else, uh, that your video is less likely to get promoted. It's less likely to be shown to people. And this actually tracks back a very, 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 very long time. Because there was initially, after the initial adpocalypse, where a bunch of people were getting demonetized, a lot of people were like, as soon as my video gets demonetized, the views plummet. And YouTube came out and was like, no, 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 there's no link at all between your video being monetized and how much we promote it. It's a goddamn lie. There definitely is. Because yeah. literally people could plot on a graph their views going across flat, 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 like looking like really strong, like holding it like 50K an hour. And then it would be like demonetized. And it was like, a, it was like the biggest cliff you've ever mm -hmm. seen. It would just drop. And I think the way that I think about this that is helpful is you have to think from YouTube's perspective, YouTube is a company that is designed to generate a profit. The way that they make money is through ad revenue. That is how they make ads is by showing ads on videos. Yeah. The interesting thing to realize is, yeah, YouTube actually does not care about, well, mostly doesn't care about the number of views on a video. That's not the relevant statistic. It's they how much money yeah. that video generates. Yeah. They care about views only as an end to the more views equals more ad revenue. Yeah. So basically when a video contains a controversial topic or it's demonetized, all of a sudden, if it's a controversial topic, generally what that means is it gets put into a separate ad category where um, a lot of advertisers are like, we don't want to have a ad for Timmy's cereal put on a topic that is unsafe. not brand safe. So therefore we're not going to pay as much for it if we are willing to put our ad on that category. So you don't get paid as much if you have not, ad-friendly content. So basically, if your video is either A, demonetized fully, or B, is placed into an unsafe brand category, YouTube then makes significantly less money for every viewer that watches the video. So then because of that, YouTube is less incentivized and less likely to promote that video because it's mm. like, it's kind of like if I told you there's like, like two bags of trash in front of you and I'm like, can you take them to the bin? 
And it's like, you can pick one. One of them pays you 20 bucks. The other one pays you 10 bucks. It's like, you're going to take the one that pays you more money and you're going to do that because mm. you're going to make more money. And that's, that's why you generally see a lot of YouTubers that will try to avoid things like swearing or try to avoid putting violent content in their videos, that sort yeah. of thing, because they want to remain brand friendly so that as many advertisers as possible are happy to have their ads on their content, which means the amount that you're paid per viewer is more, which means the amount that you take home is more and the amount YouTube takes home is more. And so where we're going to go with this topic is it's an interesting one. And I also don't know if it's one that has an answer. And I feel like it's very easy to give like the emotional answer, but then also I think you have to be conscious of the business realities um, behind a lot of these situations, which is the point that uh, Philly D made in his video uh, that I watched this morning was that by having a system that works that way, where demonetized content or less ad-friendly content gets pushed down in the algorithm and kind of suppressed and hidden from people relative to what it normally would, in a lot of cases, uh, say a video where someone is talking about an allegation of SA um, or a, a crime that's being committed between one, one person towards another person, um, say that's a news channel that's trying to cover that topic, YouTube suppressing that video and not showing it to people, his argument was essentially saying that they are effectively... Um, a lot of the time helping the abuser or the alleged abuser in that situation by covering up effectively a crime that might have been committed, which is an interesting take that I haven't heard before and also isn't totally incorrect because YouTube is basically mm. providing a platform uh, where, you know, people believe they're getting an independent kind of, well, not totally independent, but a general kind of spread of coverage about what they need to see and what they need to know. But what they don't know is YouTube is actually hiding and keeping a lot of stuff hidden from its from the potential viewers right. because it knows that if it shows it to them, they won't make as much money. I think this is an interesting topic. I think I see that perspective. I also see the perspective from YouTube's side where they have to be very, very careful that they are only allowing information on the platform that isn't that isn't misleading or couldn't be interpreted as fake news or that sort of thing, which are issues that they've had a lot of trouble with before. And I think if you like watching and listening to Watch Time, you will love listening to a podcast called Rabbit Hole, which was done by the New York Times last year which was a series that really went into the rabbit holes of YouTube and really explored what a lot of right and left-wing extremist content looked like on YouTube and basically how it could really lead people to getting a whole heap of information that wasn't true and that could be extremely defamatory and that sort of thing. And I think if you're thinking about YouTube as a platform, how does it interpret and how does it distinguish between people that are having an opinion and talking about their experiences, which might be considered unsafe, uh, versus actually people that are reporting fake news. I think that's a tough distinction to make and I can perhaps understand why in that circumstance they might opt to demonetize that content. I think it's really unfortunate that the fact they demonetize it means it's also suppressed from viewership as well. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's actually just such a tough topic that I don't know yeah, if there even is a thought. solution. It, it's almost like it would it would literally be an act of, and it sounds weird to word this in that way, but it would literally be like an act of charity if YouTube were to um, alter its algorithm 
in that way, but like to actually mean that the ad revenue generated by content was not really kind of relevant anymore because it's effectively saying that they're willing to take a financial hit to make sure that um, messaging around certain um, controversial topics gets out there. But also there, there are, there are like, there's a lot of factors at play, you know, there's the fact that um, there, there's things as basic as maybe certain topics aren't suitable for viewers of a certain age, in which case YouTube literally has a very good and legal reason not to promote that yeah. topic to people with accounts over a certain age. Then you've got things like, um, like you said, the fake, like fake news, allegations, that kind of thing. Like we've seen on the internet with countless ones of these that come out and end up getting proven that someone who the whole internet went after and effectively tried to like murder is is effectively actually not true. Yeah. And, and you know, like, for example, what triggered this whole thing for uh, Philly D when he was talking about it in the thing this morning was the video he made on Jake Paul and some of the allegations around him at the moment. And, um, and he's now come out and said, you know, on his side, he was like, absolutely not true. Didn't happen. Now, obviously, that may or may not be true. Someone in the situation yeah. is obviously not not, uh, not being transparent. But the point being is that it's, it's a really, really tough mm. situation now that viewership has shifted so heavily where YouTube is literally the place where so many people get their information. And a lot of the time, it, and a lot of the time because they're getting their, that information from creators, from people, from individuals, we inherently are a lot more, especially if it's a channel you have a relationship with, a lot more likely to take something as gospel if we hear it from someone we see as a person rather than yes. a corporation or a company. So that the information that spreads on these platforms is very, very dangerous compared to... Yeah. Uh, There's no journalistic integrity on YouTube. No, and, 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 it's, YouTube, and you can totally come out and just say something that isn't true. Right. Or, or it might be. And I think YouTube has... It, you know, they have to be realistic and responsible that they're not able to do human intervention all the time. There's just too much content being yeah. uploaded on the platform. They have to have strategies in place that allow themselves to, you know, have a consistent approach to the way that they treat different types of yeah. content. But super interesting, could be... Yeah, it's, it's almost yeah. more a philosophical question, I guess, for you guys in the audience of yeah. do you think uh, that obviously YouTube is a company, it's here to make money, it has every right to make money, it is its servers that it is paying for hosting the content that we're all watching mm -hmm. a lot of the time free of charge. And it has the right to a certain point to say, hey, look, like these servers ain't cheap. Distributing video free of charge to millions of people isn't cheap. If we can't recoup on ad revenue, then we don't have a functioning business model. So therefore we do need to promote videos that make us more money. Yep. But at the same time, as YouTube becomes more and more of a platform it isn't just for some fun entertainment, no, it's but it's actually becoming it's information. Yeah, it's it's information and it's news. Do the they second have biggest search platform in the world? Yeah. Do they have an obligation to promote things, even if those yeah. things might not necessarily generate them the best financial return? I don't know. Very interesting. Would love to know what you guys think down in uh, in the comments or tweet it at us or, or whatever. And go listen to Rabbit Hole by the New York Times. I guarantee you if you find this sort of topic interesting, you'll find that really interesting. Thank you so much for watching this week's episode of Watch Time. Remember to like and subscribe wherever you're listening or watching and we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.